Hey guys, welcome back to the Art of Pitching podcast. I'm your host, Chance Riley, and today we are continuing to build on the new business theme, uh, this time with Kyle Mock, who is a former professional baseball player and current owner of a company called Athletes Brand. And in this episode, we talk about how Kyle started a sports business networking event while he was just a college student, why he quit pro ball after just one spring training game to pursue business, how he went from that point to starring alongside Danica Patrick in a Super Bowl commercial about his business, and how he's connected with people like Gary Vaynerchuk and The Rock along the way. So make sure you go check out everything that Kyle is doing over on kylemock.com and over on his podcast called Success at Success. And of course, his company over at athletesbrand.com as well. And if you want to learn more about the podcast or connect with us, aopitching.com is where you can find all of that at. All right, let's get into it. Kyle, thanks for coming on the show. Man, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, you are the founder and CEO of Athletes Brand. You're a former professional baseball player. And, um, you know, the funny thing is, when I first came across uh, your, your brand, um, and I think I came across you through Twitter, I really didn't know who you are until, uh, or who you were until a couple of, uh, about a month ago. And when I found out, you know, who you were, I read uh, your, your about section on your website and everything, I was like, wow, this, this guy. He's, uh, his story is incredible. What you're doing is incredible. And I don't know how, uh, I'm just now finding out about you, but, um, I'm excited to get you on the show here and, uh, hear your story a little bit more and, and dig into, uh, some questions, some parallels between baseball and, and entrepreneurship. So let's just get it started with, uh, kind of the beginning, you know, when'd you, uh, get uh, into baseball? Where'd you kind of grow up playing all that kind of stuff? Awesome, dude. No, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in Klamath Falls, Oregon, it's a small town in southern Oregon, um, about 20 minutes from, from California, a little farm town. Um, and basically, I was born into a baseball family. So my dad um, played minor league in the Mariners back in the day. Both my brothers played college ball. Uh, so it's kind of one of those things where you didn't really have much of a choice but to become sure. a, a big fan of the game and, and in sports in general. Um, ended up going and playing some junior college ball, and that led to eventually finishing college at Centenary College in Louisiana. Uh, it's literally the smallest D1 school in the country, uh, like less than a thousand students um, going to the school. <laughs> and uh, so that was kind of where uh, of what I do now, and what led into that was injuries that kind of started uh, the beginning of my high school career. Okay. So when I was 14 or 15 years old, um, I ended up having this really bad like hip issue. I was running around uh, during a baseball game, and all of a sudden my like left hip just shut down, just completely went numb, and, and uh, kind of kept happening over and over. Went and got it checked out. Um, they said that it was a hip pointer, and so just kind of manage it and play through it, sort of thing. If it's flaring up, then then just sit out and, and let it get better. And this continued for a couple of years until finally I dove for this ball that kind of hit off the back lip um, of the middle during our state playoffs in high school. And I, I torqued my back trying to reach behind me. It's like a bad hop that went a little higher. And then I got back up and leg was completely just shut down. Like I couldn't even jog. It was just numb, had no feeling 
um, and went back in, started doing some physical therapy and whatnot after the playoffs. And and my physical therapist like was the one that discovered it after seeing two other doctors um, said I've got this back disorder called spondylolisthesis, where it's uh, basically missing vertebrae or missing a tissue between two of my vertebrae. And it also cracked my vertebrae during that dive. <laughs> and wow. so this this led to a issue of basically having a great first half of the season every year for the next six years and getting injured um, about halfway through after we do some kind of punishment running or some kind of long distance running um, because I basically made the decision to not get surgery, not sit out, and to just manage the pain. And so looking back, like it would have been a lot easier to just sit out and manage it and uh, try to let it heal instead of managing the pain for six years. But that kind of led to the idea of like, shoot, I need, I do need to figure out another passion. Like once I was in college, um, I didn't foresee myself ever playing pro baseball anymore, even though that, that was my dream since I was a kid. Um, so I kind of started to look into other avenues. My dad owns a business, my mom owns a business, my brother owns a couple businesses, so entrepreneurship just felt natural. Uh, and I started selling t-shirts and stuff, just to make some extra beer money when I was in college, uh, making about a hundred bucks a month doing that. And once I finished college, went and worked for my brother, um, interned him, lived with him, uh, and kind of was there for the beginning of his company called um, Investor Carrot. So it's like a SEO and real estate investing website system. It's pretty cool. Um, so I started that and that's where I learned SEO, learned, uh, online marketing, um, and started to realize like the real similarities with entrepreneurship and, and sports. And I discovered that I wasn't just like passionate about baseball because of the game. Like I loved competition. I loved that everything was 100% up to me, whether I was successful or whether I failed. Um, I love being able to know that that I was in control of kind of my own destiny, you know, and with entrepreneurship, it's that same thing. You're competing against yourself and other businesses. It's right. up to you whether you succeed or fail. You can have every excuse in the world that you got screwed in some way, but in, in reality, it comes down to the fact that you made a mistake somewhere. Be better, you know, um, and that's what I love. That's, that's just my nature, and I think that's what I was kind of born into, um, especially being an athlete, and ended up getting an invite back to spring training, um, and it was kind of one of those things where when I was done with college, uh, summer ball, um, talked to a scout that gave me a, a opportunity, said that, um, he thought that I could play some pro ball, uh, but I needed to figure out my back issue. And cause I told him I wasn't going to finish college. And, and, uh, and so I ended up getting that invite. Didn't think I ever would, uh, pass my physical, did that 18 month rehab stint that I was supposed to do years before. And, uh, during spring training, um, I kind of made that decision that like, shoot, like, yeah, I think that this is a good time. Like I'm passionate about this whole idea of entrepreneurship right now. And I'm passionate about this clothing company that I've started. that has got a real purpose and, and whatnot. And that kind of created that launch pad for, for getting into and, and really, uh, making that transition from baseball into business. Hmm, got it. Got it. So Prior to and and just real quick, you played one spring training game and and called it a day. Is that is that right? That's literally how it went. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. So no, it showed up, man. <laughs> well, that, that so I was an outfielder. Oh, okay. I'll go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, it's uh, for one, you at least get to you know call yourself 
uh, former professional baseball player, which is, of course, every kid's dream, and I'm sure uh, it was your own as well growing up. Um, and, and so was it just that quick of a decision, or was it something that was brewing in your head for those, you know, that whole rehab process? No, man, it was it was a decision brewing for years. Because um, literally when I was going through college, it would get to the point, and especially my last year of college, when I sort of finally decided to call it quits on baseball. Um, it was just waking up in the morning with my back, like I had to slowly roll out of bed, and it would be hours of getting loosened up. Like I wouldn't even be loosened up by the end of weights. Um, and it was just this pain that uh, was going through my lower back and through my hip every single day. And I was taking Vicodin. I was using DMSO, which is used for horses. I was using everything just to try to try to get by. You know, I had this one this one dream, this one goal, and and had no other. I never even thought. I never even had the time to think about another option. Um, so it was years of starting to kind of develop this, I guess, hate. You know, and it's not hating baseball. It was just this this hate for the feeling, you know, that sure. is, is, is every day of pain. And so once I kind of um, decided, once I decided not to go back for my senior year, um, cause it was just, it was either my school was transitioning from D one to D. It was go back and try to struggle through the pain to play um, division three ball or call it quits and try to start this business and figure out life, you know? And I just, the pain was so bad at that point that it was, is a very tough decision, but I decided to forego my senior year, um, try to do this 18 month re- rehab stint uh, for the Padres organization. Maybe it'd work out, but I decided three or four months into this whole rehab stint that I wasn't even gonna go back to spring training. I didn't think that I physical. So I was, I'd already written baseball off. So once I got that phone call to come to spring training and do the physical, it was, oh shoot, well, all right, maybe maybe I should do this. I called my best friend who was who was uh, playing with the Marlins at the time and and asked him, told him, and he's like, man, like at least at least go give it a shot. You never know. So when I showed up, it was so it was a combination of of that already kind of having that battle of not wanting to play anymore, um, and then showing up to spring training and and being told that you're not an outfielder anymore. You're going to be a pitcher. Yeah, <laughs> wow. So yeah, I, I didn't know literally until the day I showed up that they said you're going over the pitching group and I hadn't pitched since little league, man. Like, <laughs> I'd even stood on a mound since little league. Wow. So it was, it was that. And then got about three weeks into it. Um, they put me on the bump for uh one eighting face four batters. Um, did pretty well. Just had a fastball and a changeup. It's all only pitches I knew. <laughs> um, talked to him afterwards. They offered me contracts and that was when I kind of had to make that decision. It was, all right, well, we, I've got this thing. It was called a different name at the time, um, Athletes Brand was, but it's like I've got this thing that I feel pr- pa- pretty passionate about. And I think it's really hard to find something that you could feel excited about to leave sports for, you sure. know? Um, so it was a combination of not thinking that I was going to be able to stay healthy, uh, being turned into a pitcher, which I didn't find any joy in pitching. Um, not <laughs> Nothing against pitchers, but that's, that's a different, it's a different world. Sure, sure. And then, then you know, are you, you still there? Yep. Oh, okay. You broke up a little bit. That's fine. Um, yeah, yeah. But I want to, I want to dive into, uh, what you're doing at, at athletes brand. But before that, let's just backpedal a little bit and, uh, go back to like really your, basically your childhood and 
was it all baseball or was there ever any signs that, you know, you were uh, maybe a future business owner, future entrepreneur? Did you do any, um, you know, do you have any side hobbies? Like were you one of the kids that sold baseball cards or was it all baseball? <laughs> uh, yeah, man. I mean, like I said, my, my dad, uh, once he left baseball, he went straight into, um, well, not straight into a few years later, started his own rental yard. So he's, and he still owns it today. He's renting backhoes and boom lifts and stuff like that. Uh, and we literally grew up and lived on top of his business. And so like there was this little apartment thing on top of his rental yard that we lived at. So they were downstairs working with customers coming in and out every day. And, and eventually we started working there. Me and my brother started working there as well. Um, when I was young, I remember like starting up a, a lemonade stand at one point, like the old lemonade story. And I uh, set up a lemonade stand, um, just selling my mom's like frozen Minute Maid lemonade that you mix with water. And, and uh, I think I had this one sale and it was totally one of those things where the guy was just being a nice guy, but I was like eight years old and just thought I was the best businessman in the world. <laughs> and I uh, had one more cup of lemonade left and didn't have any more mixed. And the guy came up and offered like to buy it. And I, I don't know how much I was selling it for, but um, I remember asking him, told him that uh, it was my, my last cup. And so I, I'll sell it to him for $50 since there's no more. <laughs> and so I tried to supply and demand him before I even knew what supply and demand was. <laughs> and wow. uh, Talked him down. Um, he like bargained with me, gave me a twenty dollar bill and stuff. And and I think just having that kind of excitement of of knowing that I kind of was pretty sure he was going to come in and overpay for it anyway. So he's just one of those guys, just a nice dude. Right. Uh, and that kind of created that that excitement for me. Um, so my junior year of high school, I. I'd I'd already been kind of interested in business, you know, and especially following my brother and stuff because he just got out, not gotten out of college and he'd started his own business at the time. And uh, in my junior year, I decided to transfer schools because I was going to Henley High School, um, which was a four A school, and and it goes up to six A in Oregon. Okay. Uh, we won two state championships there, and so it was like a really tough decision. But I transferred to our crosstown rivals, who were five A was a five A school. And they offered business where Henley was an agriculture school. So they had uh, um, like FFA, Future Farmers of America and whatnot. Whereas Mazama, the school I transferred to, had Future Business Leaders of America, and a bunch of business classes and, and whatnot. So my senior year, I went to went there to kind of try to get a jump start on learning business. Um, I really wanted to have an advantage going into college on, on learning business and marketing and advertising. And somehow I had a really really, really cool teacher there that just like strongholded everything. And like, you're not even supposed to get, it's called the business and management certificate. It takes four years to get at a Mazama to pass all these business classes and uh, different criteria. And she helped me get it in one year. Um, and then I'm pretty sure she hasn't ever admitted to it, but I'm pretty sure that she's the one that nominated me for all of these business awards during the student awards. I showed up to watch my buddy get inducted into the sports hall of fame there. And, uh, I ended up getting uh, four awards myself, which were basically all of the business um, awards for the class. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so that that created a lot of excitement for me. So once I started looking at college, it was nothing but um, a focus on wanting to learn more about business. Even the way I structured my college degree plan, uh, come my sophomore year, I realized like the way that the degree plans were set up, they weren't necessarily necessarily set up to be or to create the best business person right 
they were simply set up to be able to show that you can finish something. They're to prove that you can finish something. That's all that the degree really meant. Because a lot of the classes that were given had nothing to do with the things that I wanted to accomplish in business. So I, I changed my structure of my degree plan my junior year. And because I never had any advanced psychology classes on my original business, my business administration plan, um, I started taking a bunch of psychology classes. And in my mind, it allowed me to learn how a consumer thinks, learn how um, employers and employees think, uh, learn how people think, you know, understand why I do things, why other people do things. And, and I thought that was the most important aspect of business. Yeah, it was overlooked in my degree plan. So I finished college uh, shy of, it was about four credits shy of my psychology degree and two credits shy of my business administration degree. So I didn't even get, didn't even get my, uh, my bachelor's degree um, because I broke up my degree plan to get an education instead of just to get a degree, like a piece of paper. Right. Well, did, so did you find that those, I felt like I had uh, everything that I, that I did. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you find that those uh, psychology classes were more helpful to you? Or I guess, do you find now that looking back, those, those psychology classes were more helpful to you than what you learned in uh, your business degree or what was uh, kind of the benefit in hindsight? Man, the psychology classes were huge because they really allowed me to understand more and implement different ideas into the business classes. Um, I wouldn't say that there's any business classes that I took that were just hogwash, you know, like they're all valuable. Um, but the psychology classes helped me understand uh, how to be more creative, um, how to think more as a customer when we were learning the business class stuff. Um, so there's certain classes that, that we took that were more, not part, not necessarily part of the business degree plan, uh, but were part of, what would that even be called? Like the electives and whatnot, right. the necessary classes that you have to have. Those were classes that I replaced. Um, I, didn't, I didn't replace any business um, classes with psychology classes. Uh, I, recla I replaced classes that didn't transfer over from my junior college um, so like sociology, it didn't transfer over, uh, when I, when I went to centenary, I had to retake a class that I'd already taken. Um, so that's why I didn't finish my business administration degree. It was that one class I'd already taken. <laughs> and so it was classes that I didn't think were, were worthwhile because I either, I already took them or it was one or the other. Um, like I said, the biggest advantage of psychology classes, man, is just being able to understand yourself more and being able to understand um, why people do things more. Sure, sure. Uh, one thing on that kind of same note of understanding yourself that I thought was really interesting when I was uh, scanning through your blog, kind of preparing for, for this interview. Um, I mean, you, making decisions based on the big picture seems to be something that you have a, a knack for. I mean, you described uh, on a blog that you chose to pursue business over baseball ultimately because it, it mapped to your uh, overall purpose better. And it's, I mean, it's clearly stated on your website, um, your overall purpose, it's, it's written out. So, you know, how did you discover and, and kind of verbalize that? And how do you think other people might try to go about it? <laughs> it's kind of funny, man. Uh, about three years ago, I was speaking at colleges and I spoke, spoke at MLB spring training and, and, and it was all about, my talk was about discovering purpose, you know, like I lead to your purpose sort of thing. And um, I was in the middle of a talk at, a, I believe it was Cal Irvine. And uh, this kid, he, he asked, he goes, he goes, so what's like, what's the clear path? Like, 
I know how you how you discovered what your purpose was, but how could I follow the same steps to discover it? And I'm like sitting here thinking there is no clear path. There's no right answer to be able to discover your purpose. There's no one size fits all. Um, and so I literally just stopped speaking altogether uh, after that because I realized what I was sharing I thought was right until I really thought broke it down. It's like man, can anybody follow the same path that I did? No. The answer is no, because I found certain experiences that helped me discover my purpose. So the biggest thing that helped me get there, that the only thing that I think would be universal to everybody is to just follow your gut on what feels right. Um, and don't be scared because if I wouldn't have transferred my senior year, leaving all my friends that I'd been with since middle school and a lot since elementary school and going to the rivals, you know, if, if I didn't full heartedly believe in my gut that this was best for me in the long run and that those friends would get over it eventually. And they did. Um, then I don't, I don't know where I would have ended up being as far as business goes or any of that. Cause every big decision that i made was based off of trusting what my gut said, um, and not being afraid to follow it. And so, Kind of, kind of let, and I don't know if you're religious or not, or if any of the listeners are religious or not, um, but I kind of just let life, let God kind of lead me to where I feel like it's leading me. You can call it your gut, you can call it your God, you can call it whatever you want, but there's this, there's this sense that people have um, that tells them what's right and what's wrong. I think it's based off of past experience for the most part, you know, your, your mind being able to remember certain situations and saying yes or no. Um, immediately and that's what creates the whole gut idea uh but it's following that and not not being afraid sure sure and you really had to follow your gut when it came time to leave baseball behind because you also mentioned that when you quit um or left the game walked away to pursue business full-time you had just like two thousand dollars in savings in the bank and (laughs) you know going out on a limb to start your own business with uh with that which i suppose is you know it's better than nothing but it's not going to get you uh too, too many, uh, too many months without an income there. So what was your, you know, outlook when you decided that you were going to start this business and, and walk away from, uh, although a small income with minor league baseball is still a consistent one. How did you plan financially and, and otherwise to pursue that? You know, looking back on it now, uh, when I made that decision, I, I felt like I was going just completely boss the wall, but it was more of a decision that, I made knowing that I had a safety net. Because um, when I left, I went immediately and started working, or well, continued to work for my brother. Um, and I had equity in his company. It's now a multi-million dollar company. Um, and we, I worked for him for another six months or so um, before Trevor, because I, I, I think that that was a lot, had a lot to do with, with the extra comfort. There was a lot of deciding factors on leaving baseball. It wasn't just all right, I started this business, I'm going to do this. It was a lot. It was, I was sick of the pain. I was sick of everything, you know? Um, and I thought that 25 years doing one thing, like, and then be able to do 25 years doing something completely different, that's a freaking life, man. If I can say that I spent 25 years of my life focused on nothing but sports, and now I can do 25 years doing doing business or whatever it is, then I've lived two lives in one. It's not just focusing on baseball until I die and, and whatnot. That was kind of part of my outlook to it. Um, but after I left, it was working for my brother for another six months. Um, him and I having a conversation one night 
where he mentions, he goes, dude, like, is you got to make a decision. Cause I was doing full time for him and then working on athletes brand during my spare time. And he goes, I know that you're more, more passionate about your company athletes brand. Like he is, but you're not bringing that much value. You're not bringing the value that you could be bringing um, to carrot, which is who I was working for. And he goes, and I don't think that you're bringing the value to athletes brand either because you're split um, where your head's at. You're not putting your full attention, your heart towards either one by trying to balance the two. And I was like, he goes, do you agree? And I was like, yeah, no, it totally makes sense because athletes brand wasn't growing at the time. And I noticed that my value to the company uh, that I was working for um, wasn't as much theirs as I knew it could have been. And so he goes, how about this? He goes, if you're okay with this, he goes, and this was around January 18th or 18th, 19th, 20th, something like that. Um, he goes, how about by April 1st, if you don't have the funding you need to go full-time in your company, you got to make a decision to either quit that and go full-time and carry it, or I'm going to fire you. And <laughs> I, was, I was like, he goes, can you, can you do that deal? I was like, well, yeah, I think so. Was, how much money do you need and to, to fund the company? I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure about 50 grand would be able to get me through the first year and, and be able to get some inventory and be able to get some art created. And, and he goes, all right, he goes, April 1st, if you don't have 50 grand somehow, um, you're either getting fired or you're quitting, you're quitting this business. You guys got to make a decision. And I was like, okay, like deal. It's a challenge. And the very next day, like it was, it was weird how it worked out. The very next day I get an email in my spam folder um, and it was titled something like, yeah, I wish I, I need, to, I need to go back and see if it's still in there somewhere. But it was titled something about um, quitting your day job and winning $50,000. And I was like, this is too weird. It's too exactly what we just talked about, <laughs> you know? And uh, so I showed it to my brother. It's like, it's in my spam folder and everything about it was super spammy. It didn't even say what company it was for or anything like that. And uh, I go, should I email it back to this? Or you think it's spam? Or And he goes, man, what's the worst that can happen? He goes, email back and, and see what it is. So next day after I emailed back, got on a Skype interview with them. Um, turns out it was for GoDaddy. Um, five days later, they're flying me and my brother out to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, a day and a half after that, I'm riding passenger seat. Uh, and Charlotte Motor Speedway with Danica Patrick pitching my company to her as she goes four laps around the track. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and it was basically boiled down to they picked five contestants. Just so happened that a buddy of mine that was wearing um, an athlete's brand beanie at work, he worked for GoDaddy, um, was there. And GoDaddy's CEO walked by, saw the beanie, said, nice beanie, asked him where he got it. Um, he said, it's my buddy's company. Uh he asked him if I needed funding and and the whole nine yards. He said, yeah. And he goes, all right, well, we need somebody that's that's more of that style. Like we need somebody that's more in sports and whatnot um, to balance out who our contestants are for the Super Bowl commercial. So that's how I ended up getting in. It was just this random happenstance of the CEO of GoDaddy walking by one of the employees and liking his beanie. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, like I say, like following your gut and just and just kind of going with the flow has been – has been my, uh, my life, you know? Um, I think everything is, is also, it's not just random, you know, it's stuff that I worked towards and, and built towards. Like if I didn't create that beanie, if I didn't get that out um, to the right people and that opportunity never would have happened. So it's creating opportunities for yourself and then, and, and going with the flow. Um, but that was the real leap, 
that were at the end of that, I didn't win the contest. So I didn't have $50,000. It didn't bring in a ton of sales like I thought it was going to. Uh, Like it was shown during the Super Bowl. We were on Fox News and all this other stuff. Uh, It brought some social media followers. But it gave me the confidence um, to be able to have uh, all these emails coming in and LinkedIn connections from people come in um, saying they saw me on the commercial or they saw me somewhere else. Um, and giving words of encouragement, wanting to be involved, um, having athletes starting to reach out from sports that I'd never worked with. Cause at that time I was only doing baseball. Uh, that was my, that was my world. I didn't know anything outside of that. And it gave me the confidence. Um, to where I, at the end of it, I talked to my brother. I was like, dude, I'm, I'm going to quit. Cause I hadn't even been working for his company in a month. Like during that time, it's trying to push this contest. And, right. and he goes, man, he goes, I, I already knew it. He's like, I've got your, got, you got my full support. And there's anything you need. Let's do this. Um, we exchanged equity because he had equity in my company and I had equity in his. So I went all in. I had zero safety nets um, after that. And at that time, I did. I, I only had a couple grand in my account still. And um, so it forced me to, all right, well, you've got to make sales. You got to find a way to sell. It's not about building a company anymore. It's about trying to figure out revenue, trying to figure out money to bring in so that I can pay my bills. Um, and I wanted to live in LA, so I moved to LA, shared the studio apartment with a buddy from college that was getting his, his master's degree, and then um, just just went all in. And I think that that was that was the biggest step for me. It, it wasn't even it wasn't even the choice of leaving baseball. I think that was the biggest step of my life. I think it was was leaving. Um, this perfectly set up career that could be there until I die. And I could easily make six figures in the next couple of years off of, you know, um, leaving that full, full heartedly with nothing, with no safety net, nothing there to save me just because I believed in this one thing and believed in myself. Um, I think that was the biggest kind of leap of my, of my life so far. Yeah. That's, that's an incredible story. And it's definitely, you know, it, like you were saying, it sounds like a lot of it, was just happenstance, but it wouldn't have happened if you didn't put in the work beforehand and and prepare for it. And that kind of takes me back to where you first started to get really into business. And, um, although I'm not sure, was your, was your college networking, um, (laughs) was that an official, you know, business or was it just kind of a a group? No, it, it wasn't at all. Um, one thing that I started when I was in college was this blog, uh, called Gloves Off Sports. I just thought it was a really cool, catchy, SEO-friendly uh, title. <laughs> and bought the domain. Um, started writing blogs about, because I, I was listening to this guy at the time, reading his articles. Um, he had this this website called thesportsnetworker.com. Um, not many people knew of him outside of sports. And then he also had this LinkedIn book that he just released. Um, and his name is Lewis Howes. And, and I was listening to a lot of his stuff at that time. And um, he basically kept saying, he's like, he's like, you're not gonna be able to break into sports unless you know the right people. He goes, you gotta be going to events. You gotta be doing this stuff. And, and I started to notice, I researched him and found like, damn, this dude hasn't even worked in sports and he's teaching people how to get into sports right now. And he played, he played uh, arena football and college football and whatnot, but he never actually worked for a team or anything. And, uh, so I like started thinking that same idea, like, shoot, if I go out and interview people, um, and try to learn from them. Uh, will that create connections for me in the long run just by trying to offer value to them by interviewing them, getting their word out, sharing their book or their website or whatever it is. 
um, on social media and whatnot, then will that help me get a step ahead? So I started reaching out to basically all the top people that I could find that worked in sports. Um, I was connected with, uh, who was it? Um, Brian Strabian. He was basically at that time, he was the mecca of sports social media. He was a San Francisco Giants head social media director and he taught all these like conferences and speaker and all this stuff and reached out to him, had him on. Um, it was awesome. Got a lot of traffic, had on a couple agents, um, a few other people and started realizing that every time I talked to these people, um, they would ask me like, how can they help me back? And I didn't have a way to be helped back, but they'd always offer help. And then I kept following up. We kept staying in touch. Um, and they started kind of becoming uh, more of acquaintances and connections um, and then that's what kind of gave me that idea, like, shoot, like Lewis is doing these, these in-person events and I reached out to Lewis. Um, and I had never really talked to him at the time and reached out to him. And I said, Hey man, like I'm going to school in Shreveport, Louisiana. You're saying that you can't get into sports unless you're, unless you're going to these networking events in LA and Dallas and Miami and New York. I was like, we don't have anything like that in Shreveport, Louisiana. And how can I do it though? Like, cause at the time I was a college baseball player is doing all this other stuff that I can't just drive to Dallas or pick up a flight and go to New York. Like he was teaching. Right. And uh, his response was, he, he goes, just do it yourself. You know, start your own, start your own event. I'm like, all right, well, why would anybody come to a college kids networking event? Like I have no value. And he goes, yeah, they don't need to know that. <laughs> it's like, like, okay. And so I thought of this idea and I went all just all out on this first event, um, reached out to Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, they sponsored my first event and gave uh, chicken wings and all this stuff, just the local, the local Buffalo Wild Wings there. And um, just got on LinkedIn and started hammering everybody that worked in sports in any capacity in Shreveport. Um, got a bunch of, uh, I feel like, I feel like I probably got 10 to 15 RSVPs. I'm not, not remembering the exact number anymore. Um, but thinking that, all right, well, there's going to be all these people here. It's going to be awesome, you know? And the first one, I think two or three people showed up. And I remember, like, vividly apologizing to them, like, halfway through the through the dinner. because so we had this big old table at Buffalo Wild Wings, all this food um, put out, and there were, like, four of us there. <laughs> <laughs> and... One of the guys, he like, when I apologize, he like goes, he goes, man, he goes, no, like, don't apologize. Is this is amazing? And he was a, a big agent in the area at the time. Like, he helped discover Miranda Lambert and, and all this other stuff. And and he goes, don't apologize. Like, this is amazing. He goes, nobody's ever brought together um, our like our industry in this community before. And he goes, the people that you brought together here, like, it's quality over quantity here. And he like starts pointing out who was all there. It's like the the sports editor for the local newspaper, um, the assistant athletic director uh, for Louisiana, uh, or, uh, Louisiana Tech, and, uh, and himself. And, and I'm like, man, like, okay. Like, he goes, let's do this again. He goes, it could be four people, it could be five people, it could be just you and I. He goes, I want to keep doing this. So I did it again. Um, had a couple more people, um, did it again, and eventually uh, had this one where we had a speaker. Um, this guy, Kyle Pierce, is the U.S. bodybuilding um, coach for the Olympic team and uh, he came in and spoke and that was the biggest disappointment because after I thought it was built up four people showed up <laughs> you know and we've got a speaker there you're supposed to be on stage speaking in front of all these people and stuff and, and uh, did the same thing and apologized to him and 
He goes, no, he goes, don't apologize. This is amazing. He goes, we're just going to sit down, have a round table. We can really get to know each other. He goes, this is more valuable for me. I'm like, okay. Like, wow. He gave me like more encouragement and had an event after that. Um, we had 50 or so people RSD, uh, I believe 10, 15, 20 people or so showed up, but Les Miles, the head coach for LSU at the time, football coach, he showed up. <laughs> and so now I'm starting to realize like, man, like, okay, these, these events, like it's not, the point isn't to have a ton of people there. The point's to create value for the right type of people and the right type of people show up. And because the more they started looking at these events and the way it was structured, the way it was structured was beer and business. Like it was come, we've got beer and we're just going to get to know each other. It's not a networking event at all. We're just going to hang out, get to know each other, connect with other people that work in the industry, have a beer and watch sports. Like that was the idea of the event because I hated the word networking at the time. I hated anything that had to do with having a name tag, you know? And uh, so that's what I found was the recipe to success was creating that environment where the people that I wanted and needed to meet um, at the time were, were, weren't wanting to go to events that they were, were going to get hounded for, for jobs or anything like that. They wanted to go to events where they could just hang out and chill and get to create like relationships not create business networks, you know? Um, so I think that was, that was the big thing was, it was never a business, but I ran it under the idea of gloves off sports. Um, gloves off sports was a blog that kind of helped get me those connections, uh, by asking people to come on. And that was in 2009 or 10, I started doing these YouTube podcast things, uh, before podcasting was podcasting. I wish I would have <laughs> stuck with it. I could have could have done something pretty cool like Lewis is doing now. Lewis now has the School of Greatness podcast. Um, so the number two podcast in the world. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I wish I would have stuck with that. But no, that was that was the start of it and, and the start of how I realized how I could connect with people was doing these podcasts, asking to interview people so I could share them on my social media and hopefully bring them some exposure. Um, and then also starting these networking groups. And I took that over to LA when I moved to LA and that group was amazing. I remember the very first networking event I, I set up was, uh, um, once again, off of LinkedIn, all, all of these, I, I used off of finding the right community and building a group on LinkedIn. Um, the first one was two Olympic medalists and an NFL pro bowler and myself, <laughs> like none of us knew each other. And that's who showed up to the very first one. We had it at a, at a yard house in downtown LA. And it was awesome. Like ever, all three of those people are killer, like really good friends of mine now, you know, and it was based off of just reaching out, offering value. Hey, like we're bringing together people in sports. We're just going to grab a beer, hang out, watch whatever games on today. Um, it'll be an hour, you know, no, no resumes allowed, um, no name tags, no business cards allowed on the first time. Like those are the rules. And it created this quality group of people. So, a lot of those connections I made were connections that kind of eventually connected me. Like I, I literally believe that I, if I need to get in touch with somebody, I can get in touch with anybody in the world. Like I really believe that if I need to get in touch with Donald Trump in the next month, I truly believe that I can get in touch with Donald Trump in the next month, you know? Um, and that's based off of starting networking um, while I was in college and doing it the right way by always offering value to others without asking of anything in return. And that's what those networking events were, where I'm offering value and bringing together everybody. Um, and I don't need anything in return. I didn't charge money for any of that. Um, I was out of pocket on a lot of them. Um, but, and I was 
absolutely sacrificing my time, but it was creating, it was being the connector and creating the opportunity for people to connect with others that could be six months or some of them like literally five years later, uh, reaching out, um, that I'd met at an event and connecting me with some of the athletes that we've done campaigns with now that, that have been critical to, to our business, to the business that I own now. Um, just because I never asked for anything in return. I'm sure. just trying to figure out the way to, to give value value to others. Absolutely. And, and outside of the, the network building aspect of it, did you see any value in just surrounding yourself with people that are you know pretty, pretty high achievers and just developing those relationships with them? How did you, uh, well, did you see any value in that? And how did you see it uh, as, as um, I guess I should say, as a college student myself, I find it difficult to in a college environment, uh, really find those people who are focused on becoming high achievers and, and um, mm. you know doing something more than just living the typical uh, college mm. lifestyle. So, did you see any value in that as a college student, or just just kind of touch on that? It's yeah, dude. That's you're, I'm glad you brought that up. That's it's a, it's critical because uh, it's like I, um, my last year of college, like teammates give me shit and stuff. Uh, for basically thinking that I was going to create a clothing company at that time. It wasn't even, it was just literally just selling these shirts online. Um, but I remember getting flack and stuff for, for just trying, you know? Um, and I think the more that you surround yourself with people that are big thinkers and big doers, there's a difference between a big thinker that, that doesn't ever do anything and a big thinker. That's a big doer and a massive difference. Um, the more you connect, connect yourself with big thinkers that are big doers, those, the more you start to have confidence in yourself, the more that you start to realize that shoot anything is literally possible. Like I love looking at guys like, um, Steve jobs, Elon Musk, and like all these guys, you know, that they kind of had ideas and they just made them happen. Things that are absurd to think about things that are impossible to think about and they just made them happen. And it's critical to be able to surround yourself that with people that think that way, even if you don't know them. Um, follow their stuff, you know, like, like follow their blog or their podcast if they have, if they have one or reach out to them, cold, cold email them, shoot them a DM or something, um, find ways to connect with them, even if you might not be able to connect with them in person. Um, but then also surrounding yourself with people that, that are, have drive, um, have vision and want to do things, um, like, like the way that you're thinking. Uh, I think if I, I think if I would have just kind of stuck around, uh, just my core group of friends, um, in college and uh, nothing against them, but we just didn't have the similar mindsets, you know? Sure. Um, I think if I, if I would have only stuck around them, I don't think I would have had the confidence to take risk in business. Um, cause my brother, he, he connect me to talking on the phone with people that multimillionaires that were self self-funded bootstrap, you know, and, and these guys that literally took it from the bottom to the top, um, and getting to talk with these guys. And like when I decided to quit college, it wasn't just, all right, well, I only went to school, you know, like, like I said, how, how I went to school to get an education and not a degree. It wasn't, that wasn't the only deciding factor. I did my research. I talked to my uncle who at the time was the marketing director of Campbell soup. And I talked to a, a bunch of different guys that were friends with my brother that are just massively high achieving entrepreneurs. Um, and got different responses from a lot of them, you know, I realized the people that worked in corporate said, no, finish your degree, get that piece of paper. You don't ever want to have, like, you want that to be your safety net. You don't ever want to be in a situation where your business doesn't work out. Now you got to work for a corporation. 
you know, and now you're screwed. Sure. But then all the guys that started their own business, they were so passionate, like so passionate about, no, like if you know what you want to do now, like you want to do this clothing thing, you want to do this whole supporting a cause thing. Like if you're, you're doing that or baseball, if those are your two choices right now is save that $15,000 and invest that into your business. Because if you don't have the $15,000 and just save it so that you're not having to pay a school because you don't need it. Like they're so passionate about just go out and start getting experience and like having those people in your, that are to surround you to give you um, that confidence. And I don't necessarily look at it as me following their advice. I more so look at it as these guys were so confident that I could do something because they were so confident that they could do something that it made me truly believe that I could be successful um, no matter what if, if I made that decision. And certain family members and certain friends and whatnot – um, were the dead opposite, where they made me feel like there was no possible way I could do it. Because they're bringing up all the negatives, you know, which it's good sometimes to have those people that bring up um, the cons, you know, but only if they're truly trying to help sure. <laughs> and and not just trying to say, don't take the risky route, take the safe route. Um, so find those people that you can surround yourself with that, that are encouraging, that have their own drive, have their own goals. Um, uh, try to connect yourself with just high achievers. The more, the more that you find yourself being in this group of high achievers and less around uh, people that are negative and pessimists, uh, the happier you're going to be and the more successful you're going to be. Awesome. Awesome. And when it comes to conversations with people like that, how did you approach them as a college student, you know, with, with maybe you didn't have a whole lot to offer. So when you uh, get the phone from your brother and he has uh, you know, a very successful entrepreneur on the phone to talk to you, what would that, uh, how would you approach the conversation? What would you talk about? Well, I mean, yeah, with, with those, it's different because that's an intro from somebody that already knows them. Um, so it was, those were very specific on, uh, do I leave college? What are the pros? What are the cons? That okay. sort of stuff. Um, but for reaching out to somebody that you don't know, that nobody connected you with, uh, that's, that's very different in the fact that, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't see that I had any value, um, to them because I didn't have a big network of followers. I didn't have, um, a big website or any of this stuff. Uh, so I'll use, I'll use this example as one. So when I was in college, I, I talked with Mark Cuban, I discussed, I talked with the rock, um, I've talked with, uh, what's his name? Um, Terry crew. Like if I had a chance to like, communicate with all these people as a college student and it was because I learned that I learned two things, one timing, um, and two always offer value and support. Uh, what do people love more than anything? They love to be told that they're doing things right and that they, they want words of encouragement. You know, um, there's not a person alive that doesn't like words of encouragement. And so that's what I realized, just being a good dude to people. Um, so with The Rock, like, I remember just thinking, man, like, it'd be cool to, to, to connect with The Rock. And I was like 19, 20, 21 years old. And it's like two in the morning. So he was on, I saw him responding to people's tweets and stuff. So, and they're all negative and his responses were super negative. Um, people were dogging him about a new movie that came out. And uh, I remember just messaging, like shooting a regular tweet to him um, and saying, man, like, well, I forget what movie it was, but I said, man, like, I loved you in this movie and um, I'm buying this book that you just came out with because he released a book at the time, too. I was like, would love to share and help out in any way. 
you know, I was like, keep killing it. And he ended up uh, responding in a tweet and then he DM me again and said, thanks again. And so we went back and forth shortly um, in a DM. But that was one of those things that gave me this kind of confidence, like, shoot, like, if I can talk with The Rock, like on Twitter, I should be able to connect with anybody, <laughs> you know. Sure. Um, so same thing happened again, or it was timing. Like, I realized if you message somebody that you need to connect with while they're on, while you see that they're active, um, they're tweeting or they're retweeting, um, shoot them a tweet then, because uh, they'll see it. And secondly was do your research, find, find what they have going on, um, know about it and be positive, like offer value to them. The rock I offered, how can I help, you know, help get, help get the word out about your book and that sort of stuff. Um, I didn't say like, I have no following. Like he knows he goes and looks at it and saw I had like 500, 400 followers at the time, you know, and, and uh, but he still responded because it's somebody offering value and not offering criticism. Um, same thing with Terry crew. Same. It was like one, two o'clock in the morning. He's responding to all these people that were shooting hate, hate tweets to him. Um, I responded with some positivity, um, same thing, offered him, offered him help uh, with anything that he has going on. Told him he's killing it. I uh, told him I was an inspiration and whatnot. Um, and he responded and we went into DM and started talking back and forth a little bit too. We talked three or four times in college through Twitter. Um, Mark Cuban, same thing. He was online responding to hate tweet. And I messaged him, shot him something uh, positive, and he responded to that because when you have a bunch of people dogging on you, you want to find the good, you know, you want to be uplifted. It doesn't matter how powerful you are or how big of a celebrity you are, you're still Joe Schmo. Like, you're still you and I. Like, you want positivity. You want people that are being kind to you. You want to be told that that you're doing things well, you know. You don't want to be just hounded with, with uh, uh, trolls. And so... That's what I learned was anybody's approachable. Um, anybody can be contacted. It's all on how you do it and when you do it. Um, when I shoot emails to people um, that I want to connect with, uh, I don't just, all right, well, I want to connect with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk today, you know, and go shoot him an email and say, hey, Gary, my name's Kyle. Uh, I just want to say hi and um, ask if I can have a time to talk to you. You know, can I have five minutes just to talk to you about something? He's I, what value is he getting out of that, you know? Um, but if you shoot him a, an email uh, right when he released a book and say, hey, man, like, really want to get your book, or hey, if you already read your book, then, if, then hey, I already read your book. Love it. You crushed it, man. Um, I'm going to share this through my, through my network. Uh, is there anything that I can do to help um, get the word out further? And that was what made Gary Vee um, respond to me initially was offering help. I'd emailed him before, you know, asked him to come on my podcast and he didn't see value in that because he was already crushing it. He had a book called Crushing It. Sure. <laughs> and, and so I emailed him again afterwards when he released a new book and I bought the book already. I read it and emailed him and said, hey, man, I like, loved your book. I mentioned something in it that that really stood out to me and offered any help getting the word out said is there any places that you would want stuff pushed or is there anywhere that i can go give a testimonial or something like that and he responded pretty quickly uh, told me where i could go put testimonials um all this we went back and forth a couple times uh he mentioned that they were doing internships at vayner media and this is while i was in college too um and throughout the idea of me going and doing an internship um so just that offer of value um, could have led to an internship. I was still playing baseball at times. So there's no way I could do it, but it could have led to an internship. And so that's, that's the biggest thing I think is 
timing and offering value, being that person that comes in and giving to giving support, treating them like humans because they are. They're every celebrity in the world is literally the same as you and I. <laughs> you know, yeah. when you go hang out in the living room or hang out at a party or go, go grab a beer, like you're talking about the same stuff that you're talking about with your buddy. It's like they're they're nobody special is what it comes down to. They're just people that work their ass off um, or figured out the right ways to become successful. Um, so just for offering value and doing it at a time that you can actually help them sort of thing. Awesome. Awesome. And we only have a, a few minutes left here. So I want to get uh, in two more things before we go. Um, first of which is something that I feel like you have a pretty good grasp on. And that's uh, your identity as who you are versus what you do. So another thing you mentioned in your blog, uh, referenced that a few times now. So for any listeners who haven't uh, checked it out, go go to uh, Kyle's website. It's just his name, kylemock.com, and uh, <laughs> check out the blog there. A lot of good stuff. But uh, you mentioned that when you no longer had baseball uh, and you were recovering from your injury, you fell into a little bit of depression because your identity was as a baseball player and you weren't able to, uh, up to that point, separate yourself from from what you did so how did you figure out um first of all that that you were in that you even um were doing that that you had an identity crisis of sorts and once you figured that out Mm -hmm. how did you separate it man i've there were multiple times that i thought i figured out figured it out and didn't Uh, I, i i i think that i legitimately figured out that identity identity crisis um when I was about the age of 28. So a year ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, in reality, it's, it's one of those things where when I was, when I, when I was born into a baseball family, um, then go straight down to how old I was, probably five or six years old when I started playing organized baseball. And, and then you play football and basketball and all this other stuff. And, and you've literally had no goal, no idea, nothing. Like you're 100% set on baseball. I did it every single day for my entire life. Um, played baseball or played sports of some sort. Then all of a sudden, just one day gone. Um, and that's that's what issue I was going through when I was doing that 18 month rehab stint sort of thing uh, after college um, was having that realization that like literally I was showing up to work and. And being a downer, I didn't realize it, you know. Um, but that was that was kind of that eye-opening experience when I thought about how important it is, uh, or how unimportant it was for me to be bummed out down in the dumps about not being able to play a game. Like how many bigger issues that there were in the world, and that was that that leap, that, that kind of pad, jump pad for me um, to really commit and say, yeah, like doing stuff to give back and make a difference is what I want to do. That's what I want my life to be about. But it wasn't that moment. And I thought it was, you know, I thought it was that moment where I realized, um, like, shoot, I'm not just a baseball player. So sort of thing. Cause when I was 26 years old and I believe 27 years old, I still felt weird when people would ask, what do you do? And for me to not say, uh, I used to be a baseball player, but now I'm an entrepreneur. Like that's, that's how I would respond because my identity, I didn't feel right saying that I was an entrepreneur or saying that I uh, worked at athletes brand or any of this stuff. It didn't feel right. It felt natural saying that I was a baseball player or that I used to be a baseball player. And it wasn't until probably a year ago that finally I realized, gee, this feels weird saying that I used to be a baseball player once my identity flipped. Um, I think it's just cause it's, it's timing. It's how long 
I'm doing something, but at the same time also became passionate and confident on what I did and felt like I, yeah, I could be successful at this business thing. Uh, but I think the biggest step to being able to kind of overcome the identity crisis is every single athlete, um, whether you're college or pro, whether you're a boxer or a baseball player, like you're going to go through this identity crisis once you're done playing once and you can't do your sport anymore. You don't know who you truly are anymore because you've been so caught up in just being that athlete your entire life, you know, and every day and so proud of it. And all of a sudden you don't have it anymore. Like there's not a single player that I've ever talked to that doesn't play sports anymore or that doesn't play baseball or, or whatever sport they played anymore that hasn't said, yeah, like I'm definitely going through an identity crisis or has like, I just met with a hockey player who's 50 old now and he's still going through an identity crisis he still has a struggle with being something other than a hockey player he's still so connected in that world and like he's gone through deep depression and all this stuff because his, his life is so caught up on being an athlete uh, especially for those pros you know like you know like when you make to the major leagues or the nba or the nfl and all you got all these sponsors throwing money at you and throwing products at you and You've got girls knocking down your door and you've got all this other stuff. You've got contracts and money flowing through. And then you decide to retire. I don't care who you are, whether you're Jerry Rice or John, John Doe. You know? <laughs> I don't care who you are. You're going to go through that same issue once you stop playing where, where those sponsors disappear. All those money and the girls and the publicity and the TV interviews disappear. Sure. Um, like one guy, he mentioned to you, yeah, man, like, I used to be able to get on any golf course I wanted. You know, they just call and they give me for free. Because now I call and you know, I don't know if I can get on the course. I have to pay full price. Because it's just a completely different life. Yeah, that sounds like a real, real first world problem. <laughs> um, but but you go from having that life where everything is all literally the year that you quit or you leave your sport. All of a sudden, all that stuff college most likely because every athlete in every sport you were the best player on your little league team you're the best player on your high school team at college and then to the pro level you know um, like every pro athlete like was the best all the way going up until the point to where they weren't there anymore you know um so it's it's a massive identity crisis i think the only thing that can get you through that is to find something and prepare for your post-career uh to be able to have something else that you can be passionate about um that's what we do at athletes brand quite a bit is to help guys uh, get set up with the right the right 501c3s stuff that they can be truly passionate about for a long term not just do a one-off a fundraising campaign like we want something that them and their wives or or their friends or their family can all jump in on and and really connect with uh, something that once they're done playing they're still going and involved they have something to do um had a player mentioned to me uh a couple of weeks ago during spring training that he was talking to a former Cardinals player and he's like, man, he goes, yeah, dude called me. He goes, just cause I'm bored. He goes, man, I need help. Like what, what do I do? He goes, I don't know what to do with my life because I'm tired of golfing because I thought that I could just golf every day and be perfectly happy and retired. He goes, but I'm bored. He goes, I don't know what to do. And, and it's really eating at me. And, uh, this, this player is, is kind of like, wow, he's like, man, like, if that dude would have set something up before he left, he could have built a business before he left. Now he can't build a business off of his platform and off his name. 
you could have gotten involved with the cause before he left and really added a ton of value and then done that for the long term. Um, but now he's stuck in a situation where he's kind of got to start from scratch or go through friends. And, and so it's it's creating that, that post-career setup before you're, I guess, in your post-career, I think is what's so important. Right. And I did the same thing, and I just didn't know that I was fully doing it. And, you know? Sure, sure. Awesome. It's a, I know we've hit our hour here. Do you have time for one more question or you need to go? Yeah, dude, no, I'm good. One more. All right. We'll get one more in. Um, and it's just, you know, you're, you're a real busy guy. Uh, you have a, a seven figure business. You're doing stuff like this all the time. So how do you manage your time? Do you have any like routines that you, you do consistently every day? Cause I'm really interested in that kind of stuff, you know, morning mm-hmm. routines, um, uh, things like, obviously going to the gym or like meditation do you do any of that kind of stuff and if so how does it help you recently yeah recently within uh, about a year ago now so well shoot i guess it has been a year geez last march last <laughs> spring training um i started a i started to try to force myself to have a routine uh, i remember being on a podcast two years ago where that same question got asked and i was like yeah like all these guys keep talking about morning routines and stuff and i was like i don't have one I just literally wake up whenever i want and and go do work and like that's my routine is just just living you know that was my that was my, my mindset right and i started realizing like shoot yeah maybe maybe that maybe i wasn't being as successful as <laughs> as i could have been by doing that um so i tried it during spring training uh and basically my morning routine was i have this app um shoot what's the name of it do you remember the name of that app Kennedy? did um i have it oh here it is Oh, it's literally called Morning Routine. Um, <laughs> so, so it's an app called uh, Morning Routine. Um, got it downloaded on my phone. Uh, but basically, I set it so I wake up at the same time every day. If I have to change my schedule that morning, then I just move up the, the alarm clock on it. Um, I wake up, and it's, it's broken down by the minute. Uh, so now I don't really look at it as much. It's literally become routine where I wake up and I just start doing the stuff. Um, but basically I wake up, express gratitude. Um, so thank you for whatever I did yesterday and whatever we're about to do today. Thank you for another day sort of thing. Um, and then it's important to me, uh, to be able to kind of find a lot of inspiration and positivity from reading the Bible. So I'll take five minutes and just listen to the audiobook version of that. Uh, this one I skip quite a bit. Um, I need to make it more part of my routine, but, uh, then I go from there to making my bed. <laughs> and uh, then I'll pray for a little bit, make sure I go drink water, stretch, uh, do some push-ups. Um, then I do just the normal stuff, shower, brush teeth, read for 10 minutes, do some visualization. Um, and then I do a breathing exercise for about five minutes. And that takes me about 45 to 50 minutes um, every day. And that's before I have um, breakfast or any of that stuff. Um, and I found that it's given me more, more energy. It's made my mind clearer in the morning. It sparked creativity uh, from when I first wake up. And beforehand, when I was this advocate of myself, just waking up whenever I needed to and, and working late and all this stuff and saying that routines weren't weren't the thing for me sort of thing. Um, beforehand, I, I didn't hit my creative point until about 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And my mornings were just sluggish, you know. And then all of a sudden, I just get full bore until 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And by being able to start this routine that gets my brain started by doing water, by doing some squats and 
push-ups and visualization of deep breaths and reading new articles and stuff like that, uh, crushing it all like into 50 minutes. Um, like that's created this, this scenario to where now by 8 a.m., like I can do some of my best thinking throughout the day. Uh, I can do some of my best work. I can get back to emails and, and all that stuff and, and be full bore. Um, so I've realized that that's the important part about having a morning routine is finding something that your body can consistently be prepared uh, doing every day and not just waking up and winging it. So and it's going to be different for everybody. But for me, that's, that's the uh, recipe that's worked. Awesome. Well, Kyle, I uh, don't want to take up too much more of your time. It was, it was a pleasure having you on. I really enjoyed the uh, conversation. Had a lot of good points, good topics that we uh, touched on, and I think it'll be really valuable for everyone that listens. So thanks so much for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Chance, man. No, I really appreciate you having me on. So I had a good time.